chapter 27, we're continuing in this series on the blessing, and where we began as we talked about the blessing of Abraham in Genesis 12, how that God's desire was to bless him and Sarai, and he changed their name from Abram and Sarai to Abraham, part of his name, and Sarai to part of his name, made covenant with them and said, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. From that, we talked about what it means to bless the Lord, how that word bless has to do with bowing down and has to do with giving honor and homage and even kissing the hand. And it's a picture of how much the Lord loves us to love him and value him and bless him. And we may need to shut a door there. <laughs> Thanks, Crystal. <laughs> and then what we talked about last week was the blessing of Jabez, a man who grew up and he was named Pain and a pain. And uh, he probably bore the reproach of here comes the pain, the pain's coming, what a pain. But he was able to rise up above that, and God blessed him tremendously and made him a great blessing. This morning, I'm going to share with you about the blessing of the Father. One of the things that you'll see in the Old Testament and also the practices recorded in the New Testament is the Father giving a blessing. It was an established habit. And what you'll see is God blessed Abram, Abraham, Abraham blessed Isaac, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And Isaac blessed his son Jacob, and Jacob blessed his 12 sons at the end of Genesis. And what you'll begin to see even as we get into the New Testament is that Jesus drew the children and blessed them. Not just one of them as an example, but however many children were there, he drew them up in his lap. He gave them that meaningful touch. He loved, loved them and spoke into their lives. Didn't hurt me. <coughs> got to keep going. This morning has been surrounded by some interesting things. We've had two different teams get sick, not be able to be here to pray at the end. We have plenty of teams. But uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to share with you is so important because it has everything to do with you learning to walk in the success of the Lord and why it is attached to how healthy you are even in your body. Because divine health is also about not walking in bitterness and unforgiveness and rejection and fear. Uh, science shows that as you walk in those things and they're not able to overcome, it actually causes you to be sick in your body. And so part of walking in the divine health is becoming a whole, our whole spirit, soul, mind, will, emotions, and body. And that's the desire of the Lord this morning. Let me read to you Genesis 27, verses 26 through 29, and we will jump into this. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Many peoples will serve you and nations will bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who cursed you. And blessed be those who bless you. If you will, turn the page to chapter 28, verses 3 and 4. Let me read those to you. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. 
So Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? Would you take the word and would you take this instrument, this vessel, and would you speak through him into the hearts and the spirits of your people? Lord, I thank you that the brokenness of our past does not have to define how we live now and our future. Lord, for many of us, our parents did the best they knew how. Some of us, we know the hurt and the pain of abuse or abandonment or harsh words or the pain of no words at all. But I thank you that other people's failure and weakness does not have to tear down our strength in you. And you are our Father. And your heart and desire is to heal us up from the past and put that behind us and to bless us and make us a great blessing. And so, Lord, we confess today, and I release from my mouth out of 1 John chapter 4, that we have come to know experientially and believed the love, not just heard you love us, but I believe the fact you love us. And may that reality and faith rise up in people and grab a hold of you today, that they would experience help in their time of need and leave here a blessed people. In the name of Jesus, amen. So one of the things I mentioned to you in the introduction is that people have all kinds of relationships when you say the word father. One-third of the people in our nation, the children, grew up in a home absent a father. One-third grew up in a home with a, a bonus parent or a stepfather, and some of them were good, but some of them were in homes where the men were there for the mother and they were not exactly relating well to the children. And one-third of the homes in our nation grew up with their biological father. That statistic alone can begin to share with us some of the things going on in our nation. But here's what I know. After 40 years of pastoring and talking with people, sometimes when you mention uh, how to love the father, how, how to worship the father, they're like, I just don't relate to that. I have a hard time because my relationship with my father is he was angry or he was abusive. My dad shared something with me 10 or 12 years ago that I just want to pass on to you. One time I came into his house and he asked me to sit down in the living room and he said, I believe I've had a revelation. And if some of you were discipled by my dad, that's a, a phrase he would use once in a while. I believe I've had a revelation. And he said, here's the revelation. He said, I'm not your father anymore. I'm your dad. And he said, your father is God. He's the genesis of who you really are now. You're a new creation. And it's who you are in Christ. And he said, I'm thrilled to be your dad, and I'm, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And, and we had that kind of a relationship. But he said, the reason this is so powerful is that we can share with other people, no matter what the relationship was with their earthly dad, that they don't have to get stuck in that place because they have the new father, the perfect father. God is their father. James 1 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the father of lights. You have a good father this morning. Many of us rejoice in our earthly dads. Some of us remember a few things that are good. For a lot of us, we want to just push it aside because it's painful. But I have good news today. Today can be the closure on your past. It's an opportunity for you to draw what is good and let go of the painful past. And some of this isn't just with a father. Some of you, you've had real pain even with your mother. A mother that was rejecting. I, I remember ministering to a, a lady one time, and her mother was kind of a country club debutante. And she had a, a sister 
that was um, younger, but she was petite like her mother, and this girl was a little more medium-sized and a little larger bone like her dad. And when she was growing up, her mom used to say things to her like, you know, you're just fat and you need to lose weight. Can, can you experience the hurt of that? And she would try to take her and, and dangle these clothes that she wasn't even created and shaped and made to get in and say, if you could become like this, and the inference was, I'd really love you. And as she got older, her mom would take her younger sister to these uh, dances and these events at the country club, but she would tell her she had to stay home because she just wouldn't fit in. So I ministered to her. She's about 40 years old, and there's incredible pain in her life because what she received from her mother is, you're not enough, you don't measure up, and really I'm ashamed of you. So the hurt can come not just from a father but from a mother as well. But the good news is the gospel changes that. The good news of Jesus changes that. You do not have to stay trapped the rest of your life in that kind of pain. The Lord wants to free you and heal you, and he wants to release his blessing to you. So one of the things that I can tell you is that when I was growing up, I was a performance for acceptance junkie. My dad, a good man, but he had a ninth grade education. Um, I have a certificate at home in a little shadow box that my sister found in one of his drawers after he passed away. He had won the 100-yard dash in the state of Arkansas. Um, he was fast. I'm not fast. Um, I, I got somebody else's genes in that uh, particular field. <laughs> but Grandpa made him come home and work on the cotton farm because his two older brothers, one had left home, the other had been to war, and he was shell-shocked, what we would call severe PTSD. My dad lost his dreams, and he also was a man that stuttered until the Lord healed him when I was in college. And so he was an angry man, and he was a man that although he would be involved in baseball and football and, and different coachings, there was just a sense that I wasn't quite enough. And part of what we learned later as we matured and repaired our relationship, he was trying to live his frustrated past through me. He wanted me to become the athlete that he never had the opportunity to be. And so I became a performance for acceptance junkie, and I would do well, and somebody would say, man, that was really good, or that really blessed me. But inside, I would say to myself, you can do better. I had a hard time humbly receiving a compliment, and I would want to undo it because of the brokenness that was in my life. But what happened is the Lord brought me to a place, and I'm going to share it with you this morning, where he began to teach me the elements of the Father's blessing. These things have been a, a work in progress and a healing in my own life, and I think they'll be a blessing and a healing to you. There are five elements, so let me walk through them quickly. I'll have the privilege to model this for you with my daughter, Brianne, and we've done some of this when she left high school and went to school in Kansas City and on to Mary Luke, but I, I want to model and may have a couple of fresh things to share with her. And then we're going to help you with a confession to forgive and release people in your past. And then there's four teams this morning of ambassadors if you'd like to come and with the laying on of hands receive the blessing of the Lord. So let me share with you the first element, meaningful touch, meaningful touch. Do you remember he said to him, come near, and he put a hand around his neck and he kissed him. Wasn't anything inappropriate there because this meaningful touch is non-sexual and non-violent. 
You know, one of the ways that Misha likes to be loved is with meaningful touch, non-sexual, non-violent. And there are just times sometimes when she just wants me to put a, a hand, an arm around her or to hug her or to let her know everything's okay. But if you're a parent, your children need that as well. They desire that. That meaningful touch uh, is something that imparts to them a sense of affection and security and comfort. The story goes like this. There's a little girl. She was uh, four and a half years old. They lived in the Midwest, and there was a severe thunderstorm blowing through in the middle of the night. And you've been in those storms where the wind blows, and it shakes the windows, and the thunder and the lightning are close, and it just shakes the house. And so she got up and ran into her folks' bedroom, and she jumped in the bed between her mom and her dad, and her dad said to her, Honey, it's okay. Jesus is with you. And she said, That's okay, but right now I need to be with somebody who has skin on. We have a need for meaningful touch, non-sexual, non-violent. The story goes like this. There was a 14-year-old girl named Lisa. Her parents broke up at 7. Um, both were alcoholics. Both were abusive to each other and to her. And she began to be emotionally disturbed, what many of us might call mentally ill. And she happened to be in a psychiatric institution. And there was a, a pastor and his wife that went to visit her Someone had mentioned that she wanted to talk to someone religious. And when they went in, Lisa was sitting in a, a chair, and she had her arms around herself, and she was hugging herself. And the counselor simply said this, when she gets in distress and trauma, she hugs herself to settle herself down. That's how important meaningful touch is to our children and each other. It's interesting in that verse, come near, when Isaac said to Jacob, come near, the word come near is used in the Hebrew to describe two armies clashing in battle. That's pretty near, and it's also used in the overlapping of scales on a crocodile. Now, we're not talking about battles and crocodiles this morning, but you can get the word picture. What the Lord's talking about is the importance of closeness, closeness. And then the laying on of hands that's the impartation and transference. It's not something magical. Sometimes when people have prayed, I've experienced virtue. Sometimes when they've laid a hand on me and prayed or set me apart or whatever, I haven't necessarily felt a lot. But I will reach out in faith and I will believe because it's like a seed supernaturally of the Lord putting something in us. And when it has been the Lord, something grows. It takes root. It becomes fruitful. It changes. And so this coming near and this laying on of hands you can see in a couple scriptures I'm not going to turn to, but I love the one in Mark where Jesus is there and the disciples say, um, you know, send the children away. Don't bother the master. He said, no, let the children come unto me. And you see there that he picks them up and puts them in his lap. He lays a hand on them and he blesses them. Unless you think that's just a little bit uh, of like an uh, illustration that we should bless our kids, it says that he blessed many children. He had time to bless them. For such is the kingdom of God, just like them. And you see the same thing in uh, also uh, Mark 1, 40 through 42. When Jesus touched a leper, David Shibley, who is one of my mentors, he's now about 70 and is kind of semi-retired from Global Advance, one of the mission organizations that I work with, was sharing when he was about 45 years old. He was in India, and the Holy Spirit, he said, just came on him mightily, 
And um, he was talking to this man that was leprous, and he had the, no the nodules and the, and the bumps all over his body. He had the, the white sores, and he stank. And he said, I had this, this strong urge to reach down and pick him up and carry him about a quarter of a mile to this outdoor evangelistic meeting. And so he said, you know, I, I struggled with obeying, but he said, I couldn't help myself. And I bent down and picked him up, and another man helped me. And he said, through the translator and the interpreter, he shared with us that we were the first people that had touched him in five years. This ends with a good ending. As he came to the meeting, he received Christ, and he was radically changed. I've seen a lot of things. I haven't prayed for a leper that's been restored yet, but that would be awesome. See, that's what the touching of Jesus did for this man. He did heal him. But in that culture, lepers were unclean, and you couldn't touch them, and you would throw stones at them, and you would even have these long sticks or poles. Have you ever heard of, I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole? That's where it comes from. You just run them off. Jesus understood how important touch was to this man. So in the blessing of the Father, there is meaningful touch. The second thing I want to share with you is spoken words. It's giving our attention to our spouses, our friends, or uh, to our children. There's a little nursery rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. How many of you know that's a lie? Somebody made that up to try to say to people, well, just, you know, just overcome it. Listen, words are powerful. The blessings from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob were spoken. The word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was made flesh and dwell among us because God knows how much we need to hear his words of truth and encouragement. We're made to receive the word. So I'll just give you an illustration if I can get my ring off here. I think so. Kind of funny. Sometimes you can't get it off. Uh, I wanted to show you something. I did. I got it. So what happens is sometimes when people are wounded and they're crying, they open up. And they're trying to, to be courageous and, and be able to receive. But when you ping people, you cause them to shut down like this. And see, our words are so important. Even if we're appealing and correcting people, the book of Galatians says do it with a spirit of gentleness because if we're harsh and people are doing this, they're going to do this. Almost always they start crying. Spoken words, the scripture says, have life and death. They are for good or for evil, and I gave you some of that there in your notes. Let's go to the third point. So we're talking about meaningful touch and then spoken words. Let me just say something else about spoken words before I, I finish. It isn't just that we say things and we engage and we give value, but sometimes when you withhold spoken words, that can be hurtful too. I had a time in a previous relationship where um, I went for five days and received six words, six spoken words. It's one of the most painful times in my life. And I began to count, and the Lord told me to stop counting. But what I experienced was the pain of not saying things. Okay? The third thing is expressing high value. Expressing high value, it, it's words, but what we're expressing with the fact that we do talk is they're important and valuable, and we're giving them focus and attention. 
But as we express high value, what we're affirming to them is our acceptance of them and their great words, their great worth. So one of the things that um, I love to just say to Misha is I'm so glad God gave you to me. You are just the most special relationship I have in my life except Jesus. And I'll tell her why she's important, and I'll tell her why she's valuable. And in the early years that we were married, she'd say, but, but I don't measure up in this, and I, and I would stop her. And I would remind her that none of us measure up. But what we're doing is shedding the past, right? And we're believing God, and we're learning to believe and speak and receive what God says until he forms it in our life. You know, Lisa Price, you gave us something, I don't know, a year ago or something on double-mindedness. And Misha and I have pulled that out and probably read that a half a dozen times each. Because the challenge, the struggle for all of us is we know the truth of the word, but something in us says, but, but, but. How many of you struggle with the but? Because somehow we want to make this natural realm our highest reality. This is not your highest reality. The spiritual realm. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. There's residue from our past, and we have to learn that the Holy Spirit helped to catch ourselves and not tear ourselves down and not tear our spouses and kids down and not speak down about others. Because spoken word is so, so important and expressing high value. What you're doing when you share with people, they're gifted and important and needed genuinely is you're showing them honor and respect, which is at the heart of blessing people. It's the root of that word. I'm not suggesting that you bow down to people. That's not what I'm talking about. But how many of you have been around people that they are an encourager and they do speak life and they speak honor? How many of you have been around people like that? How many of you like to be around them some more? Okay. How many of you have been around people who have been negative and critical and tearing down and those kind of things? How many of you just seek out opportunities to be with them again? Okay, you, you understand? That's not meant as a criticism, but the power of life and death is in the tongue. And we have to learn to wield that with God's wisdom. So expressing high value, one of the things that I did with uh, Jandy, who's living with us, she's 30, and she's going through some challenges. She needs the Lord, and some of you are praying. But the other day, she was feeling really low, and I gave her a couple of word pictures. And you could see, as I spoke some things into her life, as her dad, we saw her sit up straighter in her chair. We saw her, and we've seen her in the last two and a half or three days have a little different attitude. But I just want to give you a word picture, because that's what's here in Genesis. None of you are looking forward to saying, uh, to someone saying to you, hey, you smell like the outdoors, okay, <laughs> which is what's here. But in that culture, that was their form of Febreze, okay? <laughs> you are refreshing. I mean, that's what he was talking about. You're refreshing. And you have the beauty like God's artistic wildflowers or whatever. Jandy works in the food industry, and, and she's really gifted and good at it. And I just shared with her, I said, you're like a mater d. You're like someone that's a little older and mature, that's experienced, that when people walk into the restaurant, immediately you set the atmosphere with your smile and the warmth and the cheeriness, and you are good at connecting with people, and you know how to watch the whole room 
And when something's a little low, you know how to go over and to bring it up. And I said, you're not only that in a restaurant, but you're that in life with people as you walk into the room and walk into the workplace. And then I talked to her and I said, and you're like the utility player on a baseball team. And she kind of looked at me. I said, I know you didn't play a lot of baseball. But I said, a utility player is someone that's gifted. They can play the outfield if they need them or the infield if they need them. They can catch or they can be a designated hitter. They know how to do a lot of things well. And she brightened up because the last two jobs she's been at is they have pulled her off of this and off of that because she can do several things quite well. You see, what I was attempting to do was to express high value to her. And we can learn to do that with each other and the people in our lives. The fourth part of the blessing, I'm just moving right on because I want to make sure there's time for ministry, is picturing a happy future. It's instilling confidence and helping people like our children or our spouse set a course for God's purpose. They'll fulfill destiny with meaningful contributions. There was a story I was reading about a Jewish lady. She had had twin boys, and, and she was out in public. She had them in the pram, in the stroller, and she came across a lady that hadn't seen her since she had given birth. And she said, oh, she said, these must be your, your boys. She said, I haven't met them. She said, tell me who they are. And this Jewish mother simply said this. She said, Levi is the doctor and Benjamin is the lawyer. They're six months old. But you know, the Jewish people practice this blessing. And sometimes people have been jealous or made um, sometimes less than flattering comments as to why Jewish people hold all these positions or they have all this wealth. But I can tell you that it comes generationally even how they treat their children and their grandchildren. Picturing a happy future. And the last one is an active commitment. It's having vision and provision. See, when we make a commitment, we invest time, talents, and treasure in our children or our spouses or other people's success. We're encouraging and mentoring without controlling. One of the greatest privileges I've had in the last probably 10 or 12 years is to mentor a dozen people. And yet, one of the things Gene shared at our men's meeting Monday night is I'm not the coach, I'm learning to be the consultant. I don't desire to control. I don't want to tell you or them what to do. I'm trying to help them have a relationship and hear the Lord. And out of that, they'll come and I will consult and I will help them as they step into some things. Because I'm discovering that people that really want to grow up, they don't want codependence. What they want is independence and interdependence. They want to know who they are in the Lord and what their gifts are. And they want to meaningfully plug in. See, that's one of the visions of this fellowship. This is not a fellowship where you just come and sit. And some of you are beginning to recognize that. You know, it's different from other fellowships because we really want to know who you are, what God made you to do in your gifting, and we want to form ministries around who you are because he brought you here. I mean, this is what I believe. He brought you here because he wants to encourage you and help you, but he also brought you here because he wants to express something of his kingdom through you. And so I don't always look at things traditionally. I pray and look at who's here and say, Lord, you brought him here. What do you want to do? Sometimes he's helping you get strong. And then through you, he begins to launch different foci of ministry. My son, Josh, and then I'm going to head us to conclusion, introduce some ministry. So my son, Josh, is 39. When he finished 
uh, homeschool and, and got his GED. He was 18, and he went on to community college for a year, and he took some business classes and learned how to, to do books and accounting and some different things. But he came to me one day, and he said, Dad, he said, this is just my heart's desire. And we had the relationship where he could talk. He said, I don't really want to sit in a classroom for four years. He said, what I want to do is learn to be a contractor. And so we talked, and I said, what kind of building do you want to learn to do? And he said, you know, I'd like to learn to build some larger houses and even some commercial buildings. And so I knew a man in Washington State where I'd pastored for 12 years, John Dental. And John Dental built houses that were about one to three or four million dollars, and he built uh, hotels, eight, 10, 12 stories. I called John. He knew Josh. I said, John, Josh would like to do this. He's had a year of of uh, college and, and some mathematics and accounting and different things. I think he could learn to read a, a, a ruler really well. <laughs> and so John said, I'll take him on as apprentice, and he was really upfront with Josh. He said, if you get here and you're late to work three times, I'll fire you. We'll be moving back to New Mexico or whatever. He said, if you show up and you've been drinking, I'll fire you on the spot <laughs> because of a lot of the high things they were doing. But he said, Josh, if you'll become a good, hard worker, he said, in the next two or three years, I hope you get your subcontractor's license. And if you'll stick with me five years, I hope you get your contractor's license. Josh became a hard worker. And in about two years, a man was selling uh, a, a subcontracting business, and John Dental helped Josh buy it. And Josh became very successful as an apprentice. And I made the active commitment of supporting him and helping him buy tools and just the things that he needed and so he endured the first crash, the second crash, he had to shut it down. But today he works in an underground potash mine, six, seven miles underground, way out in the desert in New Mexico. Potash is the main ingredient in fertilizer. He's not only running a crew or two crews of about 12 total workers, but he's the head of the safety team. And when they have fires or cave-in or explosions, he's the one that runs the crew to rescue people. And about two and a half years ago, they did have an explosion, and they had to close the mine down. And I remember getting a call um, from Jess, his wife, and she said, Josh is underground. You need to pray. I don't know what's going on, but they've had an explosion. He's the brain center. He's got a crew. And the good news was within four hours, they were able to rescue the eight people that were inside. Responsible. Helped them picture a happy future. Made an active commitment. And today walking with him today okay so that blessing i have three that walk with the lord i have two that don't i know the pain what's interesting with jandy who's 30 the other day when i spoke some of these things she put a hand up because i was talking to her about this she said dad the issue is not that you haven't blessed me say i gotta quit the issue is not that you haven't blessed me she said, I realize I've made some decisions and some choices that aren't the best. And see, instead of condemning her, I showed her the best I knew. You can take a thousand steps away from the Lord, but if you will repent, it takes one step to the Lord. That's the goodness of God. One. There's a verse, and I'll end with this, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. But it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. 
talks about Jesus who's passed through the heavens. He came down from the throne of God and he was the word made flesh. He was God in a human body. And he went about everywhere showing us who the Father was, doing good, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, casting out the demons, giving hope to people, getting them on track to be restored to relationship with God, how to have a new life. And then after he became our sin and died in our place and took care of the separation between us and the Father, he descended into the depths and he defeated the enemy. You do understand that one shooting those darts at you and telling you all these lies or reminding you of your past and saying you're trapped and you can never get well. You understand he's a liar. And do you understand Jesus defeated him? You do not have to listen to him. You have authority because of Jesus and your father to take those thoughts captive and say, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'll crush that under my foot. This is the truth. And you speak what God says a blessing and a joy and in a short amount of time things will begin to change even in your emotions but that verse says that he then also passed back through the heavens and he's seated at the right hand of the father and he's praying for you at this very second today because that's what he does he lives to make intercession for you and I but it's this next verse that God used to capture my heart Because as a person that was performing for acceptance, when I didn't do well, I would quietly go away and beat myself up. Any of you ever do that? And I would self-talk myself, not about the truth of the Lord or what I'm going to show you in this verse, but I would like, Lord, I'll just double my quiet time. I'm going to get really spiritual. That lasts about a day. And then struggle with failure again because I didn't measure up. Or skip a day because I was frustrated. Or I'd say to the Lord, I'll take another job in the church. (laughs) Not the motivation for failure. This is what the scripture says. Therefore, let us come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of performance. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy. You know what mercy is? It's when God doesn't give us what we deserve. So I just want to ask you, what one person this morning, you want what you deserve? Come on. Well, I'm sitting on my hands. That's who our Father is. He said, because of the efficacy of the all-powerful work of my son Jesus, I extend mercy to you. I will not give you what you deserve, but I will give you grace. What you don't deserve is my unmerited favor and goodness in your time of need. Here's what that verse is talking about. God began to change my heart over the, the next year after the revelation of that came. And instead of running away when I struggled, running away when I was angry, running away when I'd failed, running away when I struggled with my thoughts, whatever, I began to realize I can run to him in that moment, even though my flesh says, no, fix that. You can't fix that. It has to die. 
you reckon it is dead, you deny yourself in your flesh and you take up the cross. Because what that allows you to do in that moment when your emotions are screaming, you're not double-minded, you say, but the truth of God is I need help right now. And the Father said, my arms and heart are wide open right now. Run to me. And I'm going to put my arms around you and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to help you so that you can stop returning to that. Do you understand how good this is? I wasn't trying to abuse sin. I wanted to overcome. I was frustrated because I couldn't fix myself. And he said, I didn't ask you to fix yourself. I asked you to run to me in that moment. But my religious flesh says no. And he says, death to your religious flesh. This is the heart of the Lord this morning. If you grew up and your father or your mother wounded you or hurt you, maybe they did the best they could with what they had. Maybe they abandoned. Maybe they meant well, but you would do well. You'd get an A and they'd say you can do better, A plus. I, I don't know. Maybe they were abusive. this, that God has made a way in Jesus Christ that their failure and brokenness does not tear down your strength in Him. Maybe your mother, you felt like, was not affirming and encouraging. She maybe did a lot of good, but there are things she did that caused you such pain. I have good news for you. You can release her this morning, forgive her, and bless her. And the kingdom is set up on the principle of sowing and reaping. If you can step into that by faith, the Lord will release you. And he'll release his blessing into you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead in a prayer. And if what I pray is your heart, you can silently where you are, speak it to the Lord. And then we've got some teams. I'm going to ask um, if... Uh, Joey and Paige and Anthony and Crystal and David and Lisa and my daughter is going to help me in a minute. But just go ahead and come. Let me lead you in this prayer. Father, I thank you that you sit on the throne of grace. That you are just when you judge, but you have laid all of our iniquity. <laughs>